Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 22 of the Granite Cornerstone podcast. Tonight, we are going to be discussing multi-year planning within your lodge. And joining me this evening, uh, we have Brother John Glover. Hey, John. brethren. And joining us also this evening is Brother Scott Newberry. Good evening, everyone. Uh, We were supposed to have Brother Chris Busby, but he's not feeling too well, so he's taking it easy tonight. And so you've just got the three of us, uh, so... We're sorry in advance. We're sorry in advance, but we might be done before nine o'clock. So, like I said, we're here to discuss multi-year planning. And and this is an interesting topic because it's not something um, that gets talked about a lot uh, in my experience. It's also something that kind of ties in directly with our conversation last month about uh, the progressive line. So when we talk about multi-year planning, you know, Scott, what what are we talking about exactly? Well, I, I think what we're really talking about is looking beyond, unfortunately, the next four weeks or the next one year mark for a lot of lodges. You're talking about going into the third, fourth, fifth year of a lodge and trying to involve those that are potentially to sit in the east and lead the lodge. So you, t- you want to actually kind of line things up so that when you say, all right, what are we going to do? In this case, we're in 2023. If we're looking at 2024, you want to understand what needs to be done, at least in a broad stroke, so that you can do any of the groundwork and the the, uh, foundation work before you actually get to 2024 and finally say, oh, we have to get that done. Uh, A good example, uh, St. Mark's is coming up on a milestone and uh, in 24, we'll be in our building 100 years. So it's kind of a big milestone for us. So, you know, we need to start looking at what are we going to do next year to celebrate it? Not necessarily do the nit gritty planning right now, but at least some broad strokes. What kind of event do we want to do? You know, what kind of things people we might want to invite, those types of things. So, John, I keep picking on you uh, when we have these conversations as the the most recent person to sit in the East since you're still sitting in the East. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, when we talked about multi-year planning in our prep call, you know, what what were the thoughts that were going through your head? Obviously, somebody who just went through the line is now sitting at the, the top of your your lodge. Uh, what sort of what sort of thoughts did you have on it when you were sitting there and, and thinking about multi year planning? Well, my first thought was, "Gee, that sounds like a great idea. Tell me more." Um, and as you recall from our prep call, it took a little while to kind of wrap my brain around what exactly do we mean by multi year planning. Um, uh, and and there, I, I, the way I look at it is kind of two distinct things, or at least two generally broad uh, categories of planning. Uh, like uh, Scott, what you just mentioned for dairy, you have a, you say you have a, some special anniversary event coming up. It's a, um, it's a thing that happens either once or only periodically. Um, but, but it's, a, it's a definite point in time that you can look forward to. You can uh, definitely plan for it. it, it it's pretty well scoped out. Uh, but when it happens, it's in the rearview mirror. You don't have to think about it anymore. The other type of planning is just the ongoing planning for keeping the lodge going because the lodges have been here before us and god willing they'll be here after us Um, and it's not sufficient to just hope that we keep the machine running on automatic without really thinking about it but to and this is where the tie into the progressive line comes from uh, to look at the line that we have and project out those multiple years and see, well, who do we think is going to be sitting in the East and where, where the new, you know, the, the the subsequent vacancies that are going to occur at the, at the beginning of the line, who's going to fill those. 
um, where can we improve things in terms of membership, ritual, uh, community outreach, all those kind of things um, to either improve the lodge or keep it going well? Yeah, you know, I will say when I was coming up through the line, um, I remember masters having their own binder and things they wanted to to do in their year and sort of an agenda for their year. But mm -hmm. as a junior officer, none of those things were really discussed with me. It was just, you know, here's what we want to do. You need to take over this. You need to be responsible for this. And then as I was coming into the East, I was very fortunate. And I'm, I'm not just saying this because he's watching, um, but Rich Johnston uh, was coming in as, as my senior warden for his second time around um, and instituted a, a six-year planning committee where he had uh, the incoming master, who was me, uh, himself and, and uh, the incoming junior warden all meet at his house and have a, a planning session for the, again, broad strokes, what are our major goals that we want to accomplish in, in you know, the next six years? And my focus, you know, no surprise to anyone was ritual excellence um, and really improving the ritual in my lodge and making sure we got back to a standard that, that I was happy with. And then everybody else had different thoughts and you know, I was able to take time during, I mean, I was a COVID master. Um, so, you know, my, my plans were curtailed a little bit, but it was part of my role as master of my lodge to take care of my own plans, but also start planting the seeds uh, for Rich's plans as senior warden and, and John Woodrow's plans as, as junior warden as they were coming up through the line. So that's kind of why, you know, to me, it was a brand new concept when I got to the East. It was not something that we'd done before. But it's something that's continued now through we're on our third master in that six-year plan. Um, and he's got his own six-year plan with his junior officers. So I think that's a, a really interesting concept that I hadn't considered before. And obviously, John, you know, not something you really thought about either. Um, no, we had uh, – I followed the pattern that uh, my predecessors did, at least all the way – going back all the way to uh, when I was uh, a steward myself, um, is – the incoming master or the presumed incoming master because it was typically done yeah. prior to his election uh, would lay out his plan and agenda for his first year um, and typically bring it before the past masters because they're the ones with the experience to be able to see yeah this makes sense looks like you got everything all taken care of and move forward recognizing that every master is going to have their own um, their own personality their own take on things um, and which is which is fine um, there's nothing wrong with that of course um, but didn't really involve the rest of the line. And there was no planning for continuity other than just, yes, make sure we are still successful moving forward. Yeah, I think in my case, a lot of what was going on when I got to the East was the entire lodge ran on autopilot. A lot of it. Yeah, uh, there, was, there wasn't any onus put on me to present a plan to, you know, what are we going to be doing in, in the upcoming year? So, I mean, I had the, the luxury of having a father who was a past master and i watched some of the stuff that he did when he was when he was master of his lodge so i had and i had his ear to bend if i had questions so i just kind of made a couple of broad strokes this is what kind of where i want to accomplish areas i wanted to focus on but didn't put anything specific in a plan because you're trying to change the culture of a lodge and you know it's really hard to make that shift I see more planning going on now with, with my lodge, which is a good thing, but it's, it's, you know, it's not something you can necessarily flip a switch on, you know, Rich was lucky enough. He had a couple of wardens there that jumped right on board and, and carried the torch forward. 
it's that's not the norm change is something that you know i think as masons we we seem to cringe at every time it comes up so well so scott you mentioned changing the culture of the lodge i think obviously if your lodge isn't doing this and, and it's been successful that's that's certainly one thing but if you think that there's something that needs to change you know how do you go about implementing something like this how do you make this change and make it effective in your lodge well i i think i mean you know in our case with with saint mark's we, we've been working on more of a theme basis versus a here's what the plan is like our current master his big push this year is to bring the fraternity as the extended fa family more, together more in, in Derry. So he's trying to put together more events where Eastern Star and Rainbow and Demolay are all invited to come in and and join together for you know break bread, have a have a meal, get to know each other a little better. Because in his mind, it's something that's been missing for the last several years. So that's what he's focused on. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that we've been doing. Every master kind of has their their little. I, I want. I don't want to use the term, but it's probably best that we use the term. Is you know pet project. Sure. Um, absolutely. And then little by little, we start to work on the other pieces of the puzzle. Um, you know, we need to do better planning. We need to think ahead. We need to, you know, do a better job with ritual or do a better job with record keeping or whatever it is. We kind of chip away at those things. You know, uh, we, we pull out our little hammers and we take a little knock off the, uh, the, the piece of the puzzle every time we uh, get together. It's, it's interesting and it's a challenge because you have, you have to look at it from a perspective of, are we moving the needle, uh, in the right direction and sometimes it's hard to see that because these are long-term projects i mean you know, you, you can't you know it, it's like steering a boat you got to make the decision well in advance of the actual turning of, of the rudder before you actually you know make the turn you have to you have to plan for it uh but you know it, it comes along there's there's ups and downs there's there's you know every time you make a step forward sometimes you take a step back you know because oh we didn't think about this or we didn't think about that we didn't see this we didn't see that uh, and, you know, in, in the case of, you know, my lodge, the, the demographics, the dynamics have changed a lot over the last 10 years. You know, when I came on board, uh, I came into dairy, I was the youngest guy in the room by far, as far as age goes. But at the same time, Masonically, I was one of the older guys in the, in the room. So it, it's, you know, you, you see the same thing now is that we've got a lot of guys that are young in the fraternity. But at least we're all in the same age bracket age-wise. We all have the same or similar life experiences to work from, uh, which kind of helps move things forward as we start to look at it. But I think the big thing to take away is it, it's got to be small pieces at a time. Tim, you were lucky. You guys were able to take a big leap all at once, and it stuck. I, I think, you know, trying to chip away a little at a time is the, probably the better way to go out for a lot of lodges. Can you take bigger steps sometimes than others? Yes, but I think it's important to understand that for most places, it's not going to be an overnight change. And so I've rambled on long enough. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, uh, John, you know, when we talk about this and, and you know, obviously the, the experience that you had, is this something that your lodge could take value in? And, and if so, how would you go about implementing this as, as an outgoing master, potentially? Absolutely. Because um, I look at it not just as a... Let me back up a little bit. I think it's a little easier if you have a lodge that has readily identifiable problems. If everybody agrees as problems, then the impetus to create some kind of plan to try to work out of that problem is is a no-brainer. You know, the plan may not work, but at least everybody agrees. Yep, we got a problem. We need to solve it. Um, Horace Chase, 
is I would say is a successful lodge. Are we perfect? No, of course not. Um, Don't let Ken hear you say that. <laughs> and I think he's on the call. Yes. Yeah, I saw something there. <laughs> um, but it's it's not just about correcting problems. It's also about forestalling future problems. Uh, you mentioned the um, uh, Scott. You mentioned the uh, uh, analogy of uh, steering a boat. You know, steering the Titanic. You know, you want to be able to see that iceberg. <laughs> uh, hopefully, with enough time to steer your way around it. Um, so, even if you don't see a problem, uh, being able to at least outline here are all the different aspects of the operations of the lodge, both business-wise and masonically, uh, that the line in particular needs to worry about um then every year at least every year revisit each of those things um one of the e easier aspects i think to kind of um, use as an example is the line itself um horace chase has a as a model which is probably fairly common i think uh where it tends to be newer master masons who enter the beginning of the line uh to eventually reach the east uh, with the goal to not have repeat masters. Um, it could be a double-edged sword, but you know it generally works, but it doesn't always work. You know, If you've got new master masons coming on all the time, fantastic. But what if you have a dry spell? What do you do? Or if you have, you're getting some in, but maybe they're not officer material. Uh, it's the sort of questions that just need to be brought up that the line goes through uh, every every year when they're uh, looking at this plan. The downside, though, is if you have a plan that you're revisiting every year to make sure that is everything on track, yes or no, well, then you can get blinders on and limit yourself to just what's on the paper in front of you and not be thinking about expanding the plan, altering the plan itself. So, so John, I got a question to that. So how would you handle, because you've, you know, if you've got a lot of new Masons coming in, how do you handle those that may not have extensive life experience to pull from? I know, you know, some lodges, mine in particular, has got a lot of younger members coming in. I mean, younger as in, you know, below the age of 30. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they don't have the experience that some of us that are long in the tooth have. So uh, is there a way that you guys handle that or have you thought about that? It's one we've had to kind of dance around a bit. We never want to put anybody in a position that they're not comfortable being in. We never, we never want to push anybody. Uh, we want to give people opportunities, of course. But we've got plenty of brethren who have been approached in the past about being officers because we think they're they're wonderful officer material, but um, fall squarely into that category of being too young. Now, whether it's because they don't have enough life experience, and we think perhaps they don't have. That lack of life experience may be detrimental to their to their journey as an officer, or, and this does be more common, they have a young family, they have a job, they don't have the time to devote to it. So, and it's actually a better question, perhaps, for the progressive line talk we had last week, or last month. But um, what we've managed to do, our approach has essentially been for for finding new officers is keep hitting up other brethren. Um, it's tempting to ask a brother two or three times over the years. And if he keeps saying no, you know, go back and ask again. Well, if, as long as you keep asking, eventually they may say yes. And we have had brethren who have said that, uh, we, in fact, our line at the moment has a brother who, uh, for many, many years was approached and 
was not interested. Well, I should say he wasn't interested. He was interested, didn't have the time. He was more devoted to other Masonic things, you know, side bodies. Uh, another brother who loved being an officer, but work and life just got in his way. Well, he recently retired, and now he's back in line, and he is loving it. It's fantastic. He's brought a lot of energy back in the line. Um, and the other one said, when I asked to approach him about being one of the deacons uh, at the beginning of last year, he said, oh, yeah, it's fantastic. I've been, I was actually thinking about asking if I could get into the line. I'm like, wonderful. Great. Uh, great to have you aboard. Um, we're always a little bit nervous at, you know, this time of year or whatnot, looking ahead to the next year. You know, everybody's thinking about moving up and well, we're going to have that hole. Who are we going to put into the you know junior steward, junior deacon, whatever uh, the hole happens to be? Uh, who are we going to get? And it's one of the bad things about being the outgoing master is I can look at it and say, well, not my problem. It's, that's the next master's problem. But that's not a healthy way to look at it. We, we never pass things along no. to the guy behind us. No. Come on. <laughs> well, but, but think about the planning. I mean, I've on the heels of our discussions, I've been seriously thinking about um, uh, reaching out to especially the wardens of my lodge and say, hey, what do you think about this? Do you want to sit down and and actually hammer something out. I mean, I was planning on doing that anyway with my senior warden just to kind of help him plan for his next year. Uh, but why not look several years out and sort of lay the groundwork for something like this? Well, so Scott, you just said something, uh, you know, kind of cheeky, but I think it's kind of relevant to the conversation. What happens when we don't get to accomplish everything we want to accomplish and we have to pass things off? How do we, how do we reinforce the need that we feel is incoming masters potentially right um or, or is any lodge officer honestly how do we reinforce that need with the next guy that we may have to hand it off to and how do we make sure that that momentum continues i think that's a tough question it's it's i think in some of the cases it also depends on what it was that was on your list you know so if you're if you've planned your year and say i want to accomplish x y and z you get x and y done what is what's the last item is it something that can be passed along and someone else can work on it? Or is it something that it was one of the things that you felt strongly about? Let's, you know, I'll pick on you, Tim, ritual excellence. Sure. So you wanted to get the bar from here to here and you didn't get there because you, for whatever reason, not enough rehearsals. Um, you know, you had some folks that couldn't show up. Maybe someone stepped out of line for whatever reason, you didn't get the bar moved far enough. The question at that point is, is that something that the following master also has a passion for? And are they going to want to push as, as hard as you wanted to push on it? And at the same time, be able to then say, hey, Tim, can you give me some, some pointers here? How can we kind of work this through? Can you help me out? Versus the, I didn't get to do, you know, the trip to Boston to, to you know, walk the, walk the Freedom Trail. Is that something that the lodge really wanted to do? Is it something that was a personal project of yours you wanted to bring a lodge along for? Is it something the next next officer wants to do? Or is it something you just need to understand? It's not the right time. Let's go ahead and let it go. So how do we identify, like, how do we identify prioritizing, right? We've got these specific activities that we want to do that John brought up earlier, right? That's, that's the planning that we all know and, and can get behind, right? How do we identify the time bound goals, the things that are activities that are going to end and be put in the rear view mirror. And then how do we work on identifying the things that need to be sort of long-term improvements and how do we, we choose to prioritize those? 
I'll let John have this one. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, that's an easy one. Um, for the for the time bound ones, say like an anniversary, um, particularly if you're looking several years in advance, um, I, I've always kind of espoused the form a committee approach. Um, you're you're and, a mason through and through, John. I know, I know. I, Either I, that I or like a politician. Or a politician, yeah. <laughs> I, I like committees um, as, as long as it's formed for, uh, by the right with the right guys yep. and can operate you know, on its own and get the job done, essentially what it boils down to. Not all committees work out that way, unfortunately. Um, the purpose for the committee in this case is for that continuity. Um, you know, if you're planning for an event that's three, five years out, do you really want to be changing horses two or three times before you get to that point? Um, ideally, no. Uh, now, that said, we are Masonic Lodges. The master is in charge. Uh, if he wants to totally change the complexity, uh, complexion of, of that committee, that's up to him. Um, similarly, with the prioritization of just uh, ongoing culture of the lodge, um, we keep using ritual excellence as an example because it's kind of easy to, to, to right. grasp. How about community service then? Okay, community service. Well, any of these things. Um, every master is going to prioritize those somewhat differently or perhaps see them as being more problematic than others. You know, one may look at ritual and see, yeah, we're doing fine. We have no complaints. Uh, you know, maybe it's not as important to them, but community outreach is a much higher priority so they want to you know change things up and perhaps his successor looks at it the other way around um you know I, I said before the lodge will continue long after we're gone but it it's not a it's not a static entity and because the master has to be able to inject his own personality uh and, and he is the master, we have to be okay with that. But, but the, fl the flip side, though, is that if you have a master who says he wants to get X, Y, and Z done, he's got really high bar to try to, to reach, he's got to be okay with not necessarily being able to attain that. Yeah, and but, I, think, I think that's one of the biggest challenges of being a master, is you have to come to the realization that while you can set the tone, set the action plan, you know, give everybody the push that they need to, to get rolling. You're not necessarily going to accomplish everything you want to accomplish. No. So, I mean, and that's a really hard, I mean, it was a hard pill for me to swallow when I left the East. There were things that, you know, I know that was left undone and it's like, I, I, I feel bad about it. Uh, you know, but those are things that, you know, I didn't have control over, you know, so I, I had to, okay, I need to understand. I can't control that. I need to let it go. And then, provide the assistance that I can from, you know, my new role and whatever role that happened to be. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's a big difference between setting a, setting a target and then, you know, every, everybody's going for it. Everybody wants to do it. And then it just doesn't get done in your year. It gets finished in the following year. You know, that's it's, okay. it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's okay. And the, the trick is, is to understand that it was the lodge that got the victory, not the guy who was standing in the East. Exactly. So that is a really good follow-up to, or not a follow-up, it's a good lead-in to what I wanted to ask next, right? We know that ego is a thing, right? Uh, this, is, this is an organization that, you know, 
we try to shed those those sort of negative aspects of ourselves. Um, but we know that ego is a thing. How do you encourage multi-year planning and potentially, right? If you talk about six-year planning, you want to accomplish these five things, but this guy says, I want to accomplish more community service, but the master is the one who decides to get that ball rolling and then gets the credit for it. How do we combat that ego and, and allow our junior officers to plan and understand that it's to improve the lodge, not to, to get credit for it? I think this is going to make some of the more esoteric minded Masons happy. I think um, pushing the ego aside is one of the things that we're kind of taught as Masons. Because uh, ego just tends to get in the way, uh, no matter what, whether you're an officer or not, uh, it's just in the end day to day life. So if you are planning and I'm struggling with trying to think of the right way to phrase this, try to plan around the ego and keep reinforcing the fact that these are improvements, programs, whatever they happen to be for the benefit of the lodge all the brethren of the lodge, um, all the officers included. Uh, it doesn't matter who gets credit. And in, in fact, better for no one to take credit. Um, it's actually one of the old Masonic uh, ideals, uh, certainly from England uh, and even for, you know, here, is that when we give to charity, um, it's it's almost better to do it more anonymously and, and not get credit because it's not about the credit. It's about making sure the good work is done. Um, and hopefully reinforcing that can at least mitigate some of the ego issues. I doubt it can totally uh, make it go away because, I mean, you know, let's be honest, people are people. Um, well, yeah, I, I think part of it, too, is is that the when you start the planning process, you know, it's not just the junior officers you want to talk to. It's the brother as a whole, you know, who, you know, ask for the ideas, you know, and. I think a way that you can combat the whole, I don't want to give the idea because the master is going to run with it and take all the credit is, you know, when you're sitting in the East, give credit where credit's due. You know, you know, brother Smith came up with this idea. I didn't, it's a really good idea. We should run with it, mm -hmm. you know? And, and so, and make sure that brother Smith knows that you're giving him credit for it. And you're not just rough running and, and he thinks that, you know, great. So another idea I've had, you know, gone away uh, because you don't want your junior officers, especially those that are coming through the chairs, to take a look and go, well, I don't want to say anything because then when I get to the East, I don't have anything to do, you know, and not understanding that, you know, you're always trying to, you know, pay it forward, so to speak, you know, it's like, what can I give to the lodge now? So it's better. So when I get to the East, you know, the stuff that I really wanted to see the lodge being like, it's now like that when I get to the East. So I could turn around and look at, you know, the senior deacon or the, or the senior warden. Say, okay. What can we do to make your life easier and better? What do you want to see happen? Go on when you get to the East. And I think that's a big challenge that it's it's a mind shift shift, you know, change where it stops being about what do we need to do this year for this year? It's what can we do this year for next year? Yeah. And I think there's a couple of interesting comments. Uh, you know, one of the things uh, Dave Ackard said in, in the chat is the plan has to be shared with the brethren so they know what the roadmap is. And then uh, John Bertozic followed up with the lodge has to buy into the plan or it ends with your term. And I think that that's a really interesting concept. Obviously, it needs to happen. We need to share that. But how do we go about sharing that with the brethren and, and really making it clear that these are the priorities and, and it may not be something that everybody agrees with? 
Well, I think step number one is the master needs to put the message out. Yeah. I mean, you know, most lodges have a trestle board. Take the time to put the information about, you know, maybe just paint some broad strokes in the trestle board, but then possibly call a special communication where you're going to talk about what the plan is going over the next several years. Or even better, instead of having a special communication, you know, call a call a, a lodge town hall or a, or a membership meeting. Don't put it in the lodge room underneath all the you know the trappings of a regular communication, so people are more comfortable speaking to what's going on. You know, you 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 know that way it's just it's less formal. People are usually more comfortable. You know, show up in your you know your jeans and your sweatshirts, and because we want to hash this out. This is what your officers have come up with. We want your input. Well, Dave Ackridge disagrees with you. He says we've got to use a little psychology on him over there. And uh, make them think it's their idea, which is well, actually something I like. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what it is is that it, it depends on the approach and it depends on how you want to start working on things. It also depends on your large, large culture. If the lodge always looks to the officers to do everything, it's got to start with the, with the officers. And the trick then is to kind of tease it out of the brother and to get them involved so that they have the buy-in to it. And if it's one of those, everybody's comfortable speaking their minds, then go ahead. Let everybody go ahead and throw the stuff at the wall and we'll see what sticks. Yeah. Collective buy-in is extremely important. Well, it's, it's also important to understand that you're only going to get collective buy-in for those that want to be involved. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to go ahead and get a few people who don't want to be involved, but then still want to be the naysayer about it. That doesn't happen. I know it doesn't happen. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm hypothetically speaking. Um, so who is the ideal group to put together in these plans? I mean, I know when I, when my lodge did it, it was the master and has done, it. it's the master and the, the two wardens. Is that a good place to start? Do you start with your entire officer line? Do you start with a conversation like Dave is suggesting with everybody? You know, where, where do you start the process? I think it kind of depends on what it is you're planning. I mean, if you've already got a, let's say you already have a successful lodge and you're trying to just institute planning to forestall future issues and maybe shore up some uh, potential weaknesses that you have. But generally speaking, the lodge is strong. Uh, then I don't know that you necessarily need to reach out to all the brethren. Um, if nothing else, you might actually ring some alarm bells, say, whoa, whoa, we got some issues. What's going on? Um, just thinking about myself, I think uh, opening it up to um, the line as a starting point to start the conversation and see what we want to do is seems reasonable to me. Um, on the other hand, if you have a lodge that's really, really struggling, um, then probably opening it up to the brethren virtually out of the gate may be, uh, may be the approach. I, I've heard horror stories about lodges that have been uh, flirting with merging where a select bunch will get together to talk about it. And it's, it, it's never gone well after that because those that weren't included really feel like they were left out when, I mean, that's a monumental discussion. Yeah. Um, and I know even if you're not talking about merging, but you're just talking about how to shore things up. If, if I were just a sideliner, I kind of want to be included because your sideliners, they may not be able to put their finger on the issues, but they know there are issues. And I know they'd appreciate being included. That makes a lot of sense. I think it is a different approach for a different lodge, obviously. And Scott, you keep coming back to culture. And I think that's that's a big part of it is how does your lodge typically handle things? Well, I mean, you know, I think that's it's the inclusion of all the brethren is is the is the pivot point really that you have to take a look at. And you have to understand what your lodge 
is comfortable with. Because you could have a lodge where they're not used to having the open conversations. They're not used to, you know, having input and buy-in. They're used to the, you know, the officers make the decision. And unless something monumental is coming up, dues, price, dues increase, uh, merger, you know, those types of things. That's when everybody seems to come out of the woodwork with an opinion. Um you know, which is unfortunate because it's a lot of this basic stuff that, you know, you want to start thinking about in your long-term planning, you know, things like, all right, we want to improve the fraternal aspects of the lodge. Well, what can we do? Well, all right, you know, maybe the decision is we want to do a table lodge every year or a ladies at the table every year. So it, that's a shift from what the lodge was previously doing. And it's a small shift. Takes a little bit of work the first couple of years to get the ball rolling. But once you get the ball rolling, everybody kind of knows what's going on. So you can move on to the next aspect of that role. Having everyone involved in that conversation is a nice thing. But in a lot of cases, you're, especially when you're starting to implement planning, I think it's better to start small and then work outward. So maybe it's a 15 or 20 minute conversation between the master and the, and the senior warden. You know, what do you think we should be looking at? What do you, what are your thoughts? Take that, have that conversation, then expand the circle a little bit. Maybe include the junior warden, treasurer, and secretary. So you get the, you know, the kind of the, the upper leadership. I don't want to get, for lack of a better term, you know, the elected officers, you know, together. All right, this is what we're thinking about doing. The senior warden and I have had this conversation. What do you guys think? And then kind of build it further and further out from there so that you've got a basis. So when you get to the full membership, you say, okay, this is what we're thinking. We want to, we want to move to a planning setup. We want to do a six-year plan or a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, whatever it is, then go ahead. And now you've got everybody, this is what we're thinking. What's, you know, what's the opinions? What do you guys think? You know, and then, but it really needs to be in a more relaxed environment than everybody standing up, taking their turns, being recognized to speak and stuff. Because you want to encourage the, the conversation versus trying to stifle what, you know, or what people would pin, uh, consider a stifling of the conversation because you're getting to pick and choose who actually gets to speak in what order and you can call it closed at any time. So that's just kind of my, my thought. I think you start small and, and then grow it from there. Yeah. And I, I think that kind of echoes what uh, Ken is saying there in the chat plan starts with the master vision for what he hopes to accomplish and then shares it with the wardens and then just rolls it out to the members for feedback and buy-in. So, uh, you know, I, I think we've talked a good amount about this. And I guess, you know, one of the things that I, I, we haven't talked about is, is the failure of a plan, right? So I had a plan. Um, I was a master 2019, 2020. So two years, 2019, I got to get my ritual ball rolling. Things were happening. 2020 happens. And I had uh, a month installed as master in 2020 um, before COVID. So obviously, you know, everything kind of went off the rails. How do we work contingency planning into this process? Do we plan for failure? Do we just have some backups? You know, what do we do in a case like that? Nothing is ever a failure. It's a learning opportunity. That's that's what I was always taught. So, I mean, yeah, and the, the, you've got a couple of different things rolled into there. One is the, did we accomplish what we decided to do? And I think that's an aspect that most people don't look at when they put together a plan. You say, okay, here's the plan. If you execute the plan and you don't get the results you want, the tendency is to say, it's a failure. We didn't hit our goal. We didn't, you know, whatever it is, take the plan, throw it away and move on. And what's missed there is the opportunity to learn from the experience. 
I, you know, most of us that have worked in, in the business world, especially those of us that have done project management, there's a lessons learned after a, a project specifically for that reason. What can we take away from this that can improve us for next time? We didn't hit the ritual goal. You know, so, you know, Tim, we're taking a look at things and you go, well, we did pretty well in 2019. We didn't do so well in 2020. Well, why not? Well, COVID hit. We didn't have the rehearsals. That's a thing beyond your control. So I wouldn't consider the, the plan necessarily a failure because we couldn't do what we needed to do. You know, and hopefully the individuals behind you will pick up the mantle and say, OK, we want to keep this rolling. Tim's very passionate about this. Let's get him involved and keep him involved as we move forward. So I don't really consider anything that doesn't come to fruition a failure. Maybe it's something that you just picked the wrong timeline on. Maybe the resources that you needed aren't weren't there when you started. It was, you know, we thought we had all the pieces of the puzzle. We're missing a couple, you know, and it takes time to put that together. So that's one aspect of what you were saying. The other aspect is the one that's much, much harder to deal with. And that's a contingency where, oh, no. Our junior warden just decided he's not going to be able to continue on because he and his wife are moving cross country. And now you've got a hole to fill in your line. And some of the planning that you were done was based on what his opinions were. And some of the stuff that he was trying to do in the background to help the senior warden for his term now has to find a new home. And that's a much harder thing to deal with. So, I mean, it's, I, uh, you know, it's, uh, John, I'll let you take a stab at that one because, I mean, you know, Tim's tired of listening to me talk. <laughs> well, but it is something that you you do have to deal with. Um, I don't know that you necessarily need to plan for the contingencies, you know, going into that year. Well, you know, what happens if Fred, our junior warden, decides to up stakes and move across the country? Well, do you do that for every one of your line officers? It's, it's kind of verging on silly because uh, what are the odds? Uh, that said, maybe kind of a generalized contingency plan. What if any one or two go away? What can we do? Um, every lodge has to deal with that. You find somebody to plug the hole, typically a past master or a, you know somebody that can just fill a chair. Um, I don't know that it necessarily needs to be formalized, but being able to be flexible, I think is the key. You had to deal with this yourself with COVID. I mean, when COVID hit, did you just throw up your hands and say, well, screw it, I can't get my, my plan done, just flush down the toilet. Or did you adjust it to the realities of, of the moment? You know, nobody could have predicted what we would have had to do. Um, and while I think we can all kind of imagine, what is it like to lose one line member? What if you lose three all of a sudden? Uh, but thankfully, I've never had to deal with that. And knock on wood, won't have to. Uh, but you know, some big catastrophe could happen uh, like that. And you can't necessarily plan for it. But it, it kind of goes back to what I was saying before with, you know, if you set a goal and you don't necessarily reach it, or at least not to your satisfaction, be okay with the effort that was put into it. Did you at least make progress? Especially if it's one of those things like improving ritual excellence. You know, maybe your goal was too high or, or whatever. This is a slew of possible reasons for it. Um, but be flexible. As a district deputy grand lecturer, I will say that improving ritual excellence is a job that never ends. Yeah. Just Fair. for everybody watching, everybody here. Uh, nice cover, any, nice cover. <laughs> any plan can be derailed. Uh, and it, it maybe it's not even necessarily that the plan gets, um, well, gets derailed. Maybe something new came up. Like I had plans for uh, giving the lodge room a facelift. 
And that went up in smoke because our library suddenly needed to have water damage repaired, uh, structural water damage. Like, okay, well, I guess the money's going here instead. Do I look at that as a failure? No, it's a personal disappointment, but we had to adjust because reality told us to reprioritize. Yeah, and I think we touched on that briefly earlier on in the episode where we, we talked to you, is this something that, you know, it's just, you need to let go of it. And that goes back to the ego piece again. You know, it's it's not about you as the master. It's about the launch. You know, if something didn't go the way you wanted it, you need to be able to let it go. But, you know, returning to the, the topic of what do you do about holes in a line? I think the single biggest piece, and I realize that we've probably beat this horse to, to death several times over, is the communication piece. So, you know, you go to plug a hole, like you said, John, we typically try and, and find a past master to fill it. But there needs to be communication with the brother and the rest of the line so everybody knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, our senior deacon's not going to be able to be here for the rest of the year. You know, so we're going to ask our one of our past masters to fill in the fill in the hole for the rest of the year. But you need to understand: is that he's filling it for till the end of the year? Is he willing to continue on through the line? Is he willing to flip-flop a chair once or twice to kind of help solidify the line with the officers that are going through it? Those are all conversations that need to be had, and it probably needs to be had with a larger group than just the four guys that are involved directly with it. Yeah, you know, and, and, and a that's a big like, piece. And a situation like that can even be an opportunity for another brother to step in who may have assumed that there were no openings. Sure. And if it's not communicated, he would never know. Yeah. It gets a little more challenging when you get to the warden's chairs and, and people suddenly leave a warden's chair. But, sure. uh, you know, it, but it's, it's I think that's one of the biggest challenges with And this goes back to any planning we do. Um, you know, when you set a plan in, in motion, there needs to be communication. There needs to be updates. There needs to be, you know, uh, an understanding of where we are, where we're going. You know, we talk about, you know, forming committees earlier. I, you know, I've seen it happen plenty of times, you know, in and out of the fraternity. A committee gets formed and then the committee never actually moves forward on what they're supposed to be doing. And that whatever it is that they were supposed to be doing just kind of dies on the vine because there's no follow up. So, I mean, you know, it's it's a, it's a big it's a big piece of the puzzle. If you're going to use committees, you got to use the committee. Yeah. And that's where it really, I think, get, uh, falls on the shoulders of the master. Um, I mean, as master, I have appointed several committees and I never like to be on the committees myself. I don't think it's a, necessarily appropriate participate in the committee you know be part of the discussion sure but not not drive it um some committees work great on their own they they do their thing works really well others you kind of have to get out the cattle prod and get them to move or change the makeup of the committee or you know do whatever it takes to get that committee to do its work assuming the the work of the committee continues to be um important well, gentlemen, I think that we have discussed this uh, quite a bit, and and I just, you know, to wrap up, I guess, you know, what are some final thoughts you have on this whole conversation? Obviously, John, for you, it was it was sort of a new concept when we started talking about it. Um, for me, it was really the I, I think one of the things that made me feel successful as a master was going through this process. And you know, Scott's a has been. Nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute Does, don't you have passed before your term too you know past master uh, yeah but i'm also a current uh ddg uh, so i don't get yeah. to be, i'm not a has-been just yet it's coming and then you'll find out that once you're a has-been you get called on more often than you did now so 
Yeah, I think um, I've seen you at more Masters and Wardens meetings since you've left uh, than than when you were DDGM. No, I hit everyone with DDGM. So, but uh, I do spend an awful lot of time standing in meetings because you know it's it's one of those things where you know as a master, and I've got to give credit to masters that do this. When you don't have an answer, call on someone who you think does. Um, and that goes back to what we're even talking about tonight. I mean, you know, if you've never done a five-year plan, the best thing you can do is go ask someone who, who's done one before. And that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean a five-year plan in a Masonic setting. Businesses do this all the time. I mean, you know, they come up with their five-year plan or, you know, where, where are we going to be in 10 years? And they try to do the projections. They try to do the planning. And those skills are perfectly applicable to a, a Blue Lodge setting. You know, the, the pieces of the puzzle may be different, but you still have to put together a, a, a puzzle at the end of the day. And, you know, it's and I think that's one of the big things to take away from this is that, you know, when you talk, start to look at long range planning, you need to take into account. You may not be able to see five years in advance, but maybe your senior warden can or your junior warden can. Or maybe one of your deacons actually has the experience to look forward and, and kind of say, hey, what about this? What about that? Asking questions is probably one of the best things that you can do when you start to do the, to do this process. And I think, you know, just asking the questions opens up the conversation and gets more people involved to get you thinking in the right direction. Yep. John, final thoughts. <laughs> well, I was just thinking, uh, if I were to talk to somebody who's done this in a business setting, I might be kind of um, leery about any suggestions which might involve a hostile takeover of a neighboring jurisdiction or lodge uh, that may not go over so well uh, but um, yeah I, I, I like this I mean it it took a little while to kind of really figure out how do you do this in a Masonic setting because it just doesn't fit with my own personal experience in the lodge uh, but I do like it um, and I'm going to take it home to my own lodge and see what my guys say and uh, hopefully it'll be positive. Um, I mean, my ultimate goal, and I, I think most masters, is to leave the lodge a better place than what than they found it. But if you can do that even better by planning and using all the tools at your disposal, and not just yourself, why not? Yeah, I, you know, I think my, you know, this came up. Yet uh, we had a masters and wardens meeting in the, in the second district uh, this past week. And, you know, I kind of poked fun at Scott there a bit, but it was easily the most productive Masters and Wardens meeting that I've seen in, in a number of years. Uh, every lodge uh, was represented um, and, and we talked about things. And this process, if you don't do it today, there is probably somebody or a lodge or something like to Scott's point. There may be a lodge in your district that's doing this reach out to your DDGM, reach out to the other masters, really get to know the people in your district. I know Ken Clay said it earlier. Um, travel is, is such a huge part of what we do. And if you travel and you get to know these brothers, get to know the masters of the lodges around you, you build a network of people who you can rely on to have these conversations with. You know, if I can bring the topic up on this podcast and, and you take it home to your lodge, that's great. But not everybody's watching this podcast. Not everybody's going to listen. So, you know, maybe you need to find those people who are good at this. Maybe they're not in your lodge, but maybe they're in your district. Maybe they're in your district officer team. So, Tim, to that point, when you're talking about uh, traveling, the recommendation I would make is make an effort to travel to a stated communication, not just the specials, 
not just the degree work. If you see, really yeah. want to see how the work of a, of, a, of a lodge is being done, you need to be at a stated. That's yeah, true. I mean, you travel to a special communication. Theoretically, you should be seeing the same thing with a little bit of a different flair from a ritual performance standpoint. But traveling to a stated, I, I have seen lodges do some, some things that I never would have considered because everybody conducts their business differently, whether it's because their bylaws tell them to or because the culture of the lodge is different. That's a really, really good suggestion, Scott, and, and one I don't think uh, I would have thought to make, but that is a really excellent point. All right. Well, gentlemen, I appreciate you joining me this evening. I thank you to all the viewers as well. Uh, we will be back next month on the 30th of April. We are normally the fourth Sunday, but I'm going to be on a, a business trip. If you have any questions, comments, uh, or suggestions for future episodes, please email us at the email address on the bottom of the screen. We appreciate you joining us this evening. Thank you and have a great night.